Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Bluffy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a great show for you. It's in the second segment. John Jansen does great work with Fox Sports Philadelphia, The Gambler. He does the line change as a show that you're able to catch from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking Pacific time, 5 to 8. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be looking at an NL East race that it's looking more like whoever wants it the most is just going to be able to take it because nobody else in that entire division seems wanted. It's been very interesting to say the least. Going to talk a little bit about the Phillies. Going to look at some of Monday's games. We're going to have some fun with him in the second segment. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Monday. And a little something you like to call. Touch them all first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters ZM. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to put whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast in that comments box. Did not wind up getting in any questions today, but we saw a great day of baseball on Sunday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We'll be talking more Phillies in the second segment with John Jansen, but they were able to salvage a game in their series against the Pittsburgh Pirates after losing the first two. 15-4. Kyle Gibson looked great in his debut with the Philadelphia Phillies. Six and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up two runs. From there, Archie Bradley gets the team out of the seventh inning. And J.D. Ammer and Ian Kennedy... 
both are able to come in in relief. Hammer, a scoreless inning. Kennedy winds up giving up a home run and two runs in his first relief appearance. Did not look great, but it was with an incredibly sizable lead and a very low leverage spot, to say the least. Michael Perez was able to take him deep. Seventh home run of the season for Mitch Keller. He looks like the Mitch Keller that we all know and love, giving up four runs over the course of five innings. I will say, no walks for him, which is good, but this was not good. Cody Ponce winds up coming in on relief. Gives up four runs in two innings. Luis Oviedo gives up five runs, and he recorded as many outs as me, and now he has an 11.90 ERA. Not going well there. Nick Mears, he winds up coming in. He gave you a scoreless inning, and then position player John Nagowski winds up pitching the ninth inning. He winds up giving up two runs in his inning for the Philadelphia Phillies. No runs in this game. He just went, and I kid you not, 10 of 26 with men in scoring position. So there were men all over the place and landmines for the Pirates to dodge, and they did not do so. The Blue Jays wound up getting a sweep in their first series in Toronto since 2019. 5-1 the final as Jose Barrios wound up making his Toronto debut. It looked fantastic. Six scoreless innings from there. Trevor Richards and Tim Mazza combined for three innings. Mazza gave up one run in the process as a solo home run was hit by Medward Olivares for the Kansas City Royals' second home run of the season. And that's all that the Royals would get as Brad Keller winds up leaving this game early. He gives up three runs over the course of three innings, giving up a home run in the process. You were able to get Irvin Santana, Scott Barlow, and Domingo Tapia all to give you a scoreless inning. Jake Brents winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. Ryan Lovelady completed the fifth inning. Josh Shamount also wound up giving up a solo run going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays. Marcus Simeon, 25th home run of the season, and Santiago Espinal was able to get a second, but for the Blue Jays, much needed for them out there in that American League East race. The Yankees got a much-needed sweep over the Miami Marlins by a count of 3-1 to one. for the Yankees. Not a lot of power or offense in this series, but just enough, and Durham Montgomery looked terrific, giving up one run over the course of five innings. Clay Holmes along Jolie Rodriguez, two guys that they wanted picking up for their bullpen, combined for two scoreless innings. Zach Britton and Roldis Chapman, they were both able to give you a scoreless inning as well as for the Miami Marlins. Four total hits in this one. They wind up committing three errors that wound up helping out this Yankees offense as Sandy Alcantara looked amazing. How about 10 strikeouts and 7 scoreless innings from? From there, Anthony Bass, he was hurt by the fact that they wound up having those errors. He gives up two runs, one of which was earned in a third of an inning. Richard Blyer gives you two-thirds of an inning as well. And Dylan Flora winds up giving up an unearned run in the ninth inning. So the Miami Marlins wound up hurting themselves with errors out there in the field. An error on my part was thinking that the under would cash in the St. Louis Cardinals versus Minnesota Twins game. I took them in the New York Post. Cardinals wind up getting a 7-3 win. Who, by the way, the St. Louis Cardinals... Fewest runs in the National League since the beginning of the month of June, so you've got that going on. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they were aided by a wild pitch and an error to be able to get some of those runs. And you also wound up having Umundo Sosa get his third home run of the season for Adam Wainwright. Solid start here. Gives up three runs over the course of seven innings, including home run. Being able to go deep for the Minnesota Twins. Ore Palanco is 16th home run of the season. And for the Cardinals, pair of scoreless innings from Giovanni Gallegos along with Alex Reyes. For the Minnesota Twins, Michael Pineda wasn't necessarily Michael Pineda, but he was Michael, not a long start. Four innings for him, gives up three runs, two of which weren't. He was hurt by an error out there in the field by Luis Arias. From there, John Gant, the former Cardinal, gives up a run in an inning on a wild pitch. Danny Colombe winds up giving up a run in an inning. And Bo Burrows has not necessarily been able to do a great job for this team. He gives up two runs over the course of two innings, giving up that home run to Mr. Sosa. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, team that's looking to claw their way back into the NL Central. Still a ways back as the Milwaukee Brewers were able to take it to the Atlanta Braves by a count of 2-1. to one. 
How about the Brewers being able to get a very good start out of Brett Anderson, giving up one run in five and two-thirds innings? Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, Josh Hader. I'll give you a scoreless setting, and John Curtis with two S's. After he wound up giving up five runs in his Brewers debut, a little bit better, gets it out without giving up a run. And William Thomas, a acquisition that the Brewers made earlier in the year, 18th overall home run this season. That winds up coming off of one Charlie Morton, who was a little bit of a tough luck loser. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings, including that home run. From there, Luke Jackson, Richard Rodriguez, Chris Martin, I'll give you a scoreless inning, but nothing doing for the Braves on this day. They go one of nine with men in scoring position, and despite getting seven hits to the Brewers three, they wind up getting the L. Two teams that wound up taking L's this week were the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs. That's pretty much all the guys that you remember from these two teams. Most of them are gone, but in the battle of the two fire-selling teams, the Nationals got a 6-5 win on Sunday. Adbear Alzelay did not wind up having it as a starter. Gives out four runs over the course of five innings against the Washington Nationals AAA team and Juan Soto. From there, Adam Morgan winds up giving you a scoreless setting. Also wound up having Kyle Ryan and Dan Winkler combined for an inning. Ryan gives up a run in the process. Cody Hoyer was able to give you a scoreless setting and you wound up having one run given up by Manuel Rodriguez in the bottom of the ninth inning as he allows a walk-off home run. Being able to get that walk-off home run, Yadiel Hernandez, he would go deep a little bit earlier in the game off of Kyle Ryan, so his third and fourth home runs of the season for Eric Fetty Wap gives up three runs over the course of six innings, giving up a pair of bombs, and then from there you wind up having Kyle Finnegan along with Gabe Klobostis giving you scoreless innings at Wander. I swear this guy sucks. You know, as a 467 ERA and gave up a home run because he's, well, Wander, I swear this guy sucks. Going deep for the Chicago Cubs, Rafael Ortega. Not once, not twice, but three times for his fourth, fifth, and sixth home runs of the season, and it still was not enough for the Chicago Cubs. That was highly entertaining. Speaking of highly entertaining, that is what you get when the Rays and the Red Sox wind up hooking up in the race. Complete the sweep over the Boston Red Sox without four key relievers who are currently on the injured list. Three to two, the final for the Red Sox. They go 0-6 with runners in scoring position. Ten men left on base. Hunter Renfro really provide the offense in this one. 16th home run of the season. That comes off of Shane McClanahan, who really had it going on in this start. Six innings gives up just that solo home run. Drew Rasmussen goes for five outs. He gives up a run in the process, but Ryan Sheriff was able to close out the eighth inning. And then Matt Weisler gets his first save of the season with a scoreless ninth. And for the Tampa Bay race, big hit in this one came in the third inning. Brandon Lau, 23rd home run of the season. That comes off of Nick Pavetta. Pavetta lifted pretty early in this one. He gives up three runs in four and two-thirds innings, lifted with 76 pitches. From there, Josh Taylor gets a team out of the fifth inning. And Garrett Woodlock, two scoreless innings. And Enzo Robles gives you a scoreless inning. But for the Boston Red Sox, they are starting to regress a little bit. Now they are 30 and 22 on the road after they had had the best road record in the big leagues for quite a while. A lot of people have been saying that the San Francisco Giants are going to regress. Guess what? They have yet to regress. They still have the best record out there in the big leagues. 5-3. to three. They wind up taking the series over the Houston Astros for the Strohs. Luis Garcia, he did not have it in this one. Five runs given up in four and two-thirds innings, including a pair of home runs. Chris Bryant, new acquisition. He got his first home run as a giant 19th of the season. Darren Ruff also took him deep for his 12th home run of the year. From there, if you had the under, you have to like what you saw from there. Rafael Montero with a ERA of a 727 with the Seattle Mariners. Comes in for four outs, doesn't give up a run. Phil Mayton and Ryan Stanek both give you a scoreless setting. And for the Houston Astros, Yoli Gurriel in the first setting was able to get a home run off of Logan Webb, his 12th home run of the season. For Webb, just his second home run issued since he came off the injured list in early July. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. You're going to hear in the next segment with John Jansen just how good Logan Webb has been recently. And then from there, Dominique Leon, Jake McGee both give you a scoreless setting, and Tyler Rogers. He winds up giving up a run in an inning, but the Giants able to get the job done once again. The Oakland A's were able to get the job done over the LA Angels by a count of 8-3, and for the Angels... 
They are now 4-12 against the Oakland A's this year, scoring four runs or fewer in all but two of those games. And for the Oakland A's, pair of home runs in this one. Jan Gomes, newly acquired from the Washington National Seventh home run season. Matt Olson at 28th. It was the first start of the year for Dalton Jeffries. His first start of his career was made in 2020 where he gave up five runs in two innings. This one went a little bit better. He gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. But then from there, Sergio Romo, Andrew Jaffin, Jake Diekman, he has a meadow petite. I'll give you a scoreless inning. And for the LA Angels, Reed Detmer has made his MLB debut. He had looked very good at the minor league level, getting over 15 strikeouts per nine innings. That did not translate in this one. Four and a third innings, giving up six runs, including two home runs. From there, you wind up having one and a third innings from Austin Warren. He winds up giving up a run. Sam Selman, he gives up a run in a third of an inning. And Junior Guerra, three scoreless innings in relief. So, a little bit of credit there. Max Sassy wound up giving the Angels a home run his 10th of the season. So, you add all of that. And for the Oakland A's, now just absolutely owning the LA Angels and still have a hammer lock on that number two wild card spot. And the Seattle Mariners, they are not getting closer in that wild card race. They wind up losing their second straight game to the Texas Rangers by a count of 4-3. to three. Marco Gonzalez, actually a very good start in this one. He winds up giving up one run over the course of six innings. Casey Sadler, Austin Machevich both give you a scoreless inning. And then Eric Swanson, who winds up entering into this game with a 0-49 ERA, faces three guys and he gives up three runs, including two home runs. Jonah Heim who had a walk-off home run for the Texas Rangers on Saturday. Oops, he did it again on Sunday. He winds up getting his eighth home run the season, and then Andy Ibanez earlier in the inning. He got his third home run the season off of Mr. Swanson. For Mike Fultonavich, this is like his first time not giving up a home run in his start since the War of 18-12. He winds up going five innings, giving up two runs. He had allowed 31 home runs so far this year coming into this game. From there, you have Jarrell Khan. He gives you one and two-thirds innings, giving up a run, but Demarcus Evans, four outs out of the bullpen without giving up anything, and Dana Santana was able to pitch a scoreless ninth inning to be able to get the W, and for the Seattle Mariners, regression now setting in. They have lost each out of their last two one-run games. They entered into this series 23-8 and in one-run games. That was the most one-run game wins, and the fewest one-run game losses. So, you figured that that was going to dry up a little bit. If you were thinking that the Arizona Diamondbacks were going to win this game on Sunday, well, that dried up your bankroll. 13-0, the LA Dodgers completely pulverized the Arizona Diamondbacks. One Julio Arias was able to give you five scoreless things. I thought that he was lifted a little bit early, but if you're looking at Julio Arias's stats, six out of his last 31 starts have went under, so he has been an over-machine. Phil Bickford, David Price both give you a scoreless setting, and Jeffrey Ramirez, who last pitched for the Orioles in 2019 to a 740 yard two scoreless settings, and for the Dodgers, they wind up leaving 10 men on base, but they were able to get a pair of home runs. Mookie Betts goes deep off of the backup catcher, Brian Alday's 15th home run season and Justin Turner down for what his 20th as for Caleb Smith he allows 5 plus runs for the 4th time in his last 5 starts he got 5 outs gave up 5 runs Matt Peacock in 3 and a 3rd innings he gives up 2 runs Stefan Kicktrin was in for an inning he gave up a run Ryan Muker gives up 3 runs in an inning you wind up having a run in an inning give it up by the backup catcher Brian Holday and Miguel Aguiar winds up giving up a run in an inning so that was not good for the Arizona Diamondbacks who got a grand total for it. The Colorado Rockies entered into Sunday 7-6 in their last 13 road games after going 6-33 in their first 39. They regressed a little bit in this one. 8-1, to the San Diego Padres were able to get the W. Padres might be without Fernando Tatis Jr. for a while, but they still have guys that are able to mash, including Awesome Kim apparently. It's sixth home run of the season. 
for Reese Kinnar. He winds up being pretty much a pseudo-opener in this one. He goes three innings. He gives up one run. That one run was a solo run. Going deep for the Colorado Rockies, Sam Hilliard, his fifth home run season, and then six scoreless settings from the San Diego Padres bullpen. Tim Hill, Pierce Johnson, Drew Pomerantz, Emilio Pagan, Miguel Diaz, Greg Salmon, I'll give you a scoreless setting. And for the Colorado Rockies, they wind up having Austin Gomer go just one inning. He gives up four runs in the process. From there, it was Eshin Gudu who winds going three innings, giving up one run. Antonio Santos gives up two runs in one and two-thirds innings. Zach Rouskup was able to give you a scoreless setting. And Lucas Gilbreth, he winds giving up a run in one and a third innings. So that's not what you were looking for if you back the Colorado Rockies. This was not what you were looking for if you wound up backing the... Cleveland Indians as the Chicago White Sox get a 2-1 win. Jimmy Lambert, a last-second start in this one, and he didn't look too bad. He winds up going three innings, giving up one run, so a pseudo-opener going deep for the Cleveland Indians. You wind up having Miles Straw get his third home run season, and then from there, White Sox, six scoreless innings from their bullpen as Ronaldo Lopez gives you three scoreless innings, and then Aaron Bummer, Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks all close the door with scoreless settings, and Brian Goodwin was able to get a walk-off home run off of Nick Wicker, and to be able to get the W is sixth of the season. That comes off of a gentleman in Wicker, and that now is a 5.55 ERA. Not going well for him, though. Cal Quantrill wound up providing a very good start. One earned run from him in six innings. He has now given up one run in each out of his last four starts, so he has actually been very good for the Cleveland Indians. Blake Parker winds up giving you a scoreless setting as well, and for the Cleveland Indians, only four hits in this one, despite the fact that Mr. Jimmy Lambert wound up getting the start, and the Cincinnati Reds, they look like they're clawing their way back into the wild card slash NL Central picture. Problem is, everyone in front of them keeps winning, but they did their part. 7-1, to one, they are able to take down the New York Metropolitans. You wind up having Max Schrock get his second home run of the season. That comes off of Marcus Stroman, who did not wind up having it in this one. Gives up four runs in five and two-thirds innings, including that bomb. Miguel Castro was able to give you an out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Jeff Hartley, he winds up giving up three runs in an inning, and now is a 10-29 ERA for the season. Drew Smith, along the NCDS, both give you a scoreless inning. And Jeff McNeil, lone form of brightness for this Mets offense. Gets his sixth home run of the season. That comes off of Vladimir Gutierrez, who gave a tremendous start in this one. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. And this is a gentleman that has now given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. And the team is 4-1 in his last five starts. So he's been able to give you a little bit of something. Speaking of Gibbon, Michael Gibbons, a scoreless setting, and Justin Wilson, a scoreless setting for the Red Legs as well as they wind up taking the series against the New York Mets. And the Detroit Tigers salvages series split with the Baltimore Orioles, which is not necessarily too great. 6-2 to the final. The Detroit Tigers were able to get back on track as Spencer Watkins, after having a pair of good starts for the Baltimore Orioles, he has regressed. He gives up four runs in five and two-thirds innings. From there, you wind up having two runs in two-thirds of an inning given up by Connor Green. Keegan Aiken was able to give you an out out of the bullpen without giving up anything. And Sean Anderson lowers his ERA to a 7.64 with four outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Tyler Alexander, the starter for the Tigers, does wind up giving you anything neither great nor terrible. Gives up two runs over the course of four innings from there. Yudasamoto Amidas gives you two scoreless innings. And then Gregory Soto, Michael Former, Jose Cicerno all chip in a scoreless setting and for the Tigers 5-9 with men in scoring position so they were very opportunistic and you always want to be opportunistic when it comes to sports betting over the last 7 days we have seen favorites do quite well 54-39 and 39. that is right around a 58% clip if you're looking at overs and unders at that time overs have been doing very well 
48 overs and 39 unders over the last seven days. If you're looking at the last 30 days, it's a little bit more even, Steven, in that time span. 172 unders, 165 overs. So over the last 30 days, unders are hitting at a clip of 51%. And in that time span, favorites have dried up a little bit, hitting at 56.3%, 198, and 154. If you're looking at home teams as well in this time, they're hitting right around 54%, 192 and 163 overall for the year. Home teams have had quite a bit of success. 869 and 706, that's a 55.2% rate. Favorites overall, 914 and 647, that is 58.6%. And for the year, overs, a slight lead over under 755 overs, 749 unders. Yeah, bookmakers, they know how to set totals. And a man that knows what he's talking about when it comes to baseball and the analysts, that'd be John Jansen. Does a great job over there with Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler. We're going to be chatting with him about the Phillies, the NL East race. We're going to be taking a look at the National League playoff picture in general and a couple games for Monday. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. We're back here from Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to be joined by this guest as this man does a great job out there in the city of Philadelphia as he is a host over there for Fox Sports Philadelphia, The Gambler. The show is the blind shade. You're able to catch that. Eastern time, 8 to 11 p.m. on the East Coast. If you're in the Pacific time zone, that is 5 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. It is John Jansen who's joining me on the podcast. Covers a wide variety of things and does so very well. And you're able to catch him on Twitter at jjansen34. And Jansen is spelled J-A-N-S-E-N. And John, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I guess, can I start the Kyle Gibson for Cy Young campaign? Should I start that? Can I do it? I would say you should be nominating a lot of the hitters that wound up getting 15 runs on Sunday for a little bit of an award as well. And I think that that's going to be key for the Philadelphia Phillies moving forward because, as we know, this is so a bullpen that, well, it's not necessarily great. They did wind up adding a couple pieces at the deadline, and you do wind up getting back J.D. Hammer, who I feel like is a very underrated pitcher. I've always liked Hammer time, but you do wind up adding Ian Kennedy as well if you're the Philadelphia Phillies. But I take a look at this team moving forward, and I think it's intriguing because this NL East race, I think that 84, maybe 85 wins might be good enough out there because with the New York Mets, they still have the lead three and a half over the Philadelphia Phillies, and they've been by and large solid at home so far this year, but they have really regressed a little bit. I believe that they are now one and four in their last five home games, and really it's a division which Whoever wants it can have it because it seems like everyone is saying, no thanks, I'm good, whenever it's handed to them on a silver platter. Yeah, and it is being handed to them. But the Phillies have repeatedly also said, "Uh, we're also good, no thank you. And it's just incredible because they have a chance here, even just you know, if they win three or four games in a row, to get in this division and be a game out, but they can't even do that. They can't get themselves either four games below or four games above 500, which I don't think they've done at all this season. They haven't been able to do that for the past three seasons, it seems like. You know, I just don't know if this team can get out of its own way, and I don't think Kyle Gibson and Ann Kennedy are the answer to all of that. I mean, it pushes them closer to being a functional baseball team, and now I think they have three, four legitimate starters, now which they didn't have. And they have an extra bullpen guy in Ann Kennedy, even though he didn't look too great against the Pirates. That's getting them closer to a functional bullpen. But 
it's still not good enough. And this team is, I think, in large part, we've seen now for over a season's worth of games dating back to last season, even into this season, that this is a 500 team. And if I'm looking anywhere, I obviously can't bet the Mets, but it just leads the Braves. If this is going to be handed to anyone, I think it could be handed to the Braves because like the Mets saying, ah, I don't know if we really want it. The Phillies are the same way too. I don't know if I necessarily love the Atlanta Braves out there in the NL East as well because I take a look at the trade deadline moves and it's very obvious. They're trying to replace Ronald Acuna Jr., but the guys that they're trying to replace him with, I don't know if they make them much better. Adam Duvall is a guy that's able to hit home runs, but he doesn't get on base for you at all. Jorge Soler, prior to his hot run with the Kansas City Royals about two weeks ago, he wound up hitting six home runs in seven games. Prior to that, he had went from 48 home runs in 2019 to hitting below the Mendoza line of 200 with seven home runs prior to that good stretch. He now has 13 for the season. Jock Peterson comes in from the Chicago Cubs. He's hitting right around 240 with a double-digit amount of homers, but he doesn't necessarily play the field very well either. And I take a look at this Atlanta Braves team. They have made a couple acquisitions at the trade deadline to be able to help out the bullpen, but the bullpen still has some serious questions with it as well. And I take a look at the Atlanta Braves, a team that has not been above 500 for a single day all year, and I wonder where the pitching is going to be coming from because Kyle Muller along Tuki Toussaint are along Tuki Toussaint are getting starts, and I don't have faith in either of these guys. No, it is going to have to be their lineup and sort of their guys like Freddie Freeman that have to sort of carry them through this. And I know Freeman, he had a good month of July, but I don't like the Braves either. I will absolutely agree with everything you said there is you can't argue against the fact that the Braves bullpen has not been good. Their starting pitching, I think, has talent, but all of that talent and, you know, a lot of their great talent, like Mike Soroka, for example, are on the IL. It's hard to make an argument for the Braves, but it's just that I think I've seen enough with the Phillies to just know that this isn't going to change. Look, at the end of the day, while the Mets do look like they're trying to hand the division to somebody else. They're probably just the best team in that division. We could try and look for a bet with the Phillies, try and look for a bet with the Braves, but at the end of the day, like they just may be the best out of what is a really bad division. Yeah, it's a really bad division. We always talk about the NFC least when it comes to football. This is the NL least when it comes to baseball, as we do have John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, joining me on the podcast. And it is so interesting because we're going to see the Mets and Phillies in action on Monday. For the Mets, Really, the best pitcher ever since Jacob deGrom has went on the injured list, and it looks like he may not be returning until September if he's able to even return in September. But that would be Tyler McGill. He's going to be going up against a Miami Marlins team that, boy, did they sell off quite a bit. Their pitching is still very good. Their offense is absolutely anemic. They are doing a good job of not giving up home runs, but they have currently, I believe, two guys on the roster with more than five home runs so far this year, and that's not even a joke. Meanwhile, you take a look at McGill, seven starts, 35 and a third innings in total. He's given up four home runs, 204 ERA. He has actually been terrific for the Mets. And then I'm really curious to see what the Philadelphia Phillies get out of Ranger Suarez, who has been absolutely tremendous out of the bullpen, but... We remember when he wound up starting a few years ago, he was terrible in that role. So it's going to be very fascinating to see what both of these teams wind up doing on Monday in games, which I'll say it, the Philadelphia Phillies and New York Mets should win despite the fact that both are on the road. Yeah, they should. And that's unfortunately a lot of the games that the Phillies lose. The Phillies should have taken that series against Pittsburgh and didn't. And that was quite pathetic, to be honest. So yeah, the Nationals, I mean, they're the ones that sold. They're the ones that don't have really anybody there in their starting lineup, but This is a game that they could lose because the Phillies now, I don't think Ranger Suarez is ready to pitch four or five innings. If he's out there for three, 
more than three, I would be shocked. So this is, to be honest, just with a really good opener, but this is a bullpen game, and the Phillies' bullpen is horrendous. You know, it's only a short line, too, so it's not like you have to take the Phillies on a big money line or anything as a big favorite, but it's a team that I would not feel comfortable taking at all. And the Mets, it's just where you want to try and how much faith you do have in Tyler McGill, because I don't know the Mets' offense, as you just mentioned, is really anything I want to bet on. So if you're comfortable that McGill can go strong and you want to take a run and a half here, sure. But it's just going to be hard to bet McGill. I don't know if a seeing right now a minus 175 price for McGill is something that I necessarily want to test. And to your point with Ranger Suarez, he has made 71 career appearances, three of which have been starts. He has went north of four innings just once, and he's went north of three innings three times in his career. So that is no doubt an issue. A buck 12 ERA, and he has been amazing out of the bullpen, but as we know, Coming in as a starter versus coming out of the bullpen, a completely different animal. We have seen so many starters struggle in the bullpen, and we've seen so many bullpen guys try to make the leap, have their struggles as well. And when I take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, I really do think that this is a team that they're going to need to do more of what they wind up doing on Sunday, and that's score a lot. Now, they probably aren't going to need 15 runs per game. Their bullpen stinks, but they don't stink quite that bad. But what I take a look at is guys like Bryce Harper and company having their solo home runs turning to two run shots because with Bryce Harper so far this year, 16 home runs, he's done a good job getting on base, a 4-1-4 on base. He has really done some good work ever since the All-Star break. Just two of his home runs are anything other than solo shots. Reese Hoskins has been banged up for the scene. That's a little bit of an issue, but you certainly have been able to get quite a bit out of Andrew McCutcheon. Gene Segura coming back, that has been solid, but with the Philadelphia Phillies, it feels like they just have done a poor job when it comes to timely hitting, and if those solo home runs that they're getting turn into two-run shots, they've got a shot. Yeah, and a lot of that, too. I mean, JT Romuto is a great player, and he was even in the All-Star game, hit a home run in the All-Star game, all of that. He's not been good this year. It was good to see him against the Pittsburgh, you know, on Sunday to actually have a really big game. And he's had a couple of them, but he needs to stay consistent. He's been, honestly, the biggest disappointment, I think, for the Phillies. Because in order for that lineup to be close to what it needs to be for this team to make a playoff run, they need JT Romuto to be a lot better than he has been. It's funny because in Philadelphia, you would think Bryce Harper is just not living up to his contract and not doing anything great. But Bryce Harper's OPS has been around guys like Freddie Feeman and Ronald Acuna Jr. and Juan Soto. Bryce Harper's been legitimately one of the best hitters in the National League for two seasons now, and there is nothing of concern with him. want to put a lot of it on JT Romuto, which I think has been subpar this season. In order for the Phillies to make a push into the playoffs and maybe take the East, they definitely needed him to be a ton better. I do agree with you, as we do have John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, joining me on the podcast. And we, we take a little bit more broad picture at the National League. I just still don't understand why we aren't giving the San Francisco Giants their due. They take two of three from the Houston Astros, the team that entered into the weekend with the best record out there in the American League. And I still believe that they've got the best win percentage out there in the American League. This is a Giants team that is an absolute wagon. And Everyone is thinking that the Dodgers are going to catch the San Francisco Giants, but the what really has me concerned with the Dodgers right now is pitching because they've got two guys that you are able to rely upon night in and night out to give you at minimum six innings, even seven-plus innings in Walker Buehler and Julio Rios. So you're not throwing their Max Scherzer. That gives you three guys, but that still means that you're going to need to give David Price, who came out of the bullpen on Sunday, perhaps some starts either he or Tony Gonsolin. And I believe that Tony Gonsolin is now on the injured list as well. So 
Who do you wind up turning to as a number five starter? And with the Dodgers, they do wind up having Mookie Betts in the full, which is terrific, but they didn't wind up having him play the outfield on Sunday either, which means that his lingering issues with regards to injury, they're still popping up. Cody Bellinger has not necessarily been hitting the best. And then with the Padres, this is a team that I don't see winning the National League at all because they're dealing with Fernando Tatis Jr. injuring himself again, and he might wind up being placed on the shelf at minimum until the postseason, it sounds like. So that is a big concern. Obviously, that's still a little bit of a wait-and-see scenario. They're going to try to get him back this season, if at all possible. So Adam Frazier becomes more and more relevant in that lineup. But when I take a look at the Padres as well, you've got a bunch of guys when it comes to the starting pitching that is a little bit of a question mark. You Darvish has really regressed. I have zero faith whatsoever in Chris Paddock at this point. And then with the Giants, I just feel like, as strange as it is, We know what we're getting out of them night in and night out more than these other two teams. Yeah, and look, they're not going to get the credit because they don't have names. They don't have Max Scherzer, Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw. San Diego, Hugh Darvish, and Joe Musgrove ended up becoming a name since he's been in San Diego. Not too many names, but you look one through five. I mean, Logan Webb is technically their fifth starter. He's five and three with a 3.33 ERA. It's just top to bottom. And... The beginning of the season, if you would have said Kevin Gaussman, Anthony DiScalfani, you know, Alex Wood, Logan Webb, those guys all are going to see regression at some point. I would have said, okay, you know what? You're right. Let's wait and see. But at this point in the season, though, I just don't know. It's not anymore that regression is coming. I think we can just call it these guys are having career years and it's all just happening in one season. It's kind of unprecedented in a way. It's something that you can't expect. But instead of thinking that these guys are going to regress this season, I think we can just call it as these guys, especially their pitching staff and starting pitchers, they're just having career years. And I think we just have to leave it at that. And if they're having career years, one through five, they have a better starting pitching staff, I think, than the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers are very top-heavy, like Scherzer, Bueller, Urias. Like, they're all great, but... One through five, I mean, I don't know if I can find a better rotation than the Giants. I just have to say this Giants team to me is well on its way to maybe winning the NL West because if the Dodgers are going to deal with these starting rotation problems and obviously there's a Jansen problem over there with the Dodgers, that could prevent them from maybe taking this division because I think it's only going to be a very small margin here between the Giants and the Dodgers. Yep, and if you take a look at Anthony Discalfani, he's right now got a 310 ERA, but if you take out of the fold his starts against the LA Dodgers against all other teams, he has a sub-2 ERA, and he's been significantly better on the road than he has been at home, which is something that I really like to see with a lot of these pitchers. And if you take a look one through five with the Giants, among the guys that have gotten the most starts for this team, everyone has an ERA of a 384 or lower. And you mentioned Logan Webb, the gentleman that was able to get the win on Sunday. He has given up in terms of earned runs, two or fewer, and each out of his last five coming out of coming off the injured list. And he has given up, I believe it was going into Sunday, two home runs in his last eight starts. He has been absolutely magnificent for this team. The one pitching rotation that I would put up against the San Francisco Giants, one through five, that would be the Milwaukee Brewers, though, because with the Brewers... Milwaukee would be one up there, for sure. Yep, you've got Freddie Peralta, you've got Brandon Woodruff, you've got Corbin Burns, and hey, Adrian Ozer has been able to do a halfway decent job. Now, I don't have a ton of faith in Eric Lauer, but 
One of Eric Lauer and Brett Anderson is pretty much a stopgap slash filling guy, and both of these guys still have right around three seven five four ish ERA. So I would put the Brewers a little bit out of that, but at the same time, what I think we forget about with the San Francisco Giants as well is that they are hitting a bunch of bombs. They lead the league. When it comes to home runs on the road, if you're looking at home runs overall, they're number two to the Toronto Blue Jays. And that is something that I feel like goes under the radar as well, because you don't think of a Mike Yastrzemski being much of a home run guy, but they've got a bunch of guys with like 12, 11, 10, 9 home runs. And it's just overall depth and platooning that has gotten the job done for the Giants, which is much more sustainable than having a few top guys like the Dodgers and the Padres have, because once those guys get hurt, they are just absolutely without any luck whatsoever. Meanwhile, the Giants, they've been able to make do with injuries to guys like Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria, because of their overall depth and reinforcements are now in with Chris Bryant getting a home run on Sunday. Yeah, and look, this is where the Giants, and we know Gabe Kapler, at least I, for sure, Gabe Kapler, it was trying to instill this in Philadelphia and just didn't, and kind of a lot of people rejected it. But this is the benefit of taking analytics into account when it comes to home runs, because as you said, their highest home run hitter is Brandon Crawford with 18, but it is spread around everywhere, these home runs. And that, to me, is where analytics comes in. They optimize these guys. Batting angles, exit velocity. They optimize these guys in such a way, and I think Darren Ruff is the best example of that, who has the highest OPS on the team at 974. But Darren Ruff is exactly the kind of guy where they just know what situations to put him in, what he succeeds in best, how he should be hitting you know, some of these pitchers and in these situations, and he's benefiting off of it. You know, So it's just the, the Giants... Not saying that they have like figured everything out because other teams have this information and they know it as well, but I think they're the best team that is executing it and putting it into you. And it's the San Francisco Giants because they've got 57 games left in the regular season. Go 28 and 29. That would be a game below 500, which that would be considered regression in my opinion. That would still leave them at 94 wins. So you know what? They're doing a pretty good job so far this year. Speaking of men that do a pretty good job, That'd be you, John Jansen. You do a great job over there at Fox Sports Philadelphia, The Gambler. The line change, 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern. You can catch that Monday through Friday. I know that you do some work with Win Sports as well, so you've got a lot of things going on. Let the good people know how they're able to follow along on social media and just what is all in the hopper for you the next few weeks. Yeah, I would say I'm one of the hardest working people in radio, but I think Jeff Parles has to take that right now. My goodness. About 40 shows in 10 days. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you can follow me at jjansen34. I show Monday through Friday, 8 to 11. And then yeah, windailysports.com. Do a lot of stuff for them. Have a show with Mike North at noon on Twitter and YouTube. All of my stuff will be there at jjansen34 on Twitter. And John does an incredible job with all the shows that he does. He does some hosting over there with Mike North, as you heard. Fox Sports Philadelphia, The Gambler. list goes on and on. And he is kind enough to join me from time to time on this podcast as well. So big thanks to John for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time the podcast to give you time travel on every game on the betting board for this Monday. And a little something you like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to get John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler on the podcast. Did a great job giving us a little bit of perspective on the NL East and just the National League playoff picture in general. So, big thanks to him. 
Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Monday and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JaronSquirty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then Indy Interleague games will be on the bottom. We do not have any interleague games. This is a little bit more of a dry slate today, but still some money to be made. So we're going to be starting with that first National League game. 9:51, 9:52 on the betting board. You got the Philadelphia Phillies, and they're in the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Rangers Water is going to be going for the Phillies. Josiah Gray is going to be on the bump for the Nationals. Nationals are finding themselves as underdogs here. You're going to be getting them. Anywhere between a plus 105 and a plus 113. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the fills, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Nine is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 110. And going to be taking a look at the fills in this spot. Want to making them more like a minus 133 favorite. Now, we were talking about this with our good buddy John. The fact that Ranger Suarez has not been able to give you a lot of length. He has been tremendous out of the bullpen. A 1-1-2 ERA, 40 and a third innings across 27-ish appearances, has not given up the deep ball, and for a reliever, having sub-three walks per nine innings has been absolutely tremendous. He goes up against a guy in Josiah Gray that he wound up making one start and one long relief appearance for the LA Dodgers. That was because an opener wound up coming in from him. Not great. In eight innings, he has given up four home runs, five walks, and he allowed six runs. Those were home starts against the Giants and the Colorado Rockies. All-time teams that start Josiah Gray are 2-0, but that's because there was a lot of offensive support for them, and with the Washington Nationals, they were able to take quite a few games in that series against the Chicago Cubs, but both of those teams wound up having big sell-offs. Now, you take a look at Juan Soto, and he has been able to do a terrific job for the team. Seven home runs since the All-Star break, sitting a 300 with a 427 on base, and Yadiel Hernandez hitting above a 300. That is terrific for the team, but you've got Luis Garcia, Andrew Stevenson, Carter Keboom, all guys hitting a sub-215, Victor Robles hitting right at the Mendoza line of 200. He does have a 322 on Mason. Josh Bell has been able to supply a little bit of boom as well with 17 home runs, but this team is completely gutted. Then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. I was mentioning it with John, the fact that you've had Bryce Harper actually look very good for this team, hitting a little bit above a 300, but 14 out of his 16 home runs have been solo shots. I do really like what you're getting out of Travis Janikowski. He's hitting above a 300 for the team. JT Riamito, 355 on base. He wound up going 5 of 6 in the game against the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday, so he looked very good with that regard. We'll see if that winds up keeping up, and you have been able to get something out of Gene Segura as well. He's hitting above a 300 for this bunch, and for a little bit of a lesser guy, Rafael Marchand, he has been able to give the team a tad bit of something as well when called upon as a pinch hitter, but you do need Didi Gregorius to pick it up. 212 batting average. Odubo Barrera was very hot in the months of May and June. He has really regressed the last like, month or so, and then when you take a look at this Philadelphia Phillies bullpen, not great, but at the same time, Chase Anderson is someone that could come in in long relief. J.D. Hammer is someone that I do like. I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something as well out of Ian Kennedy. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Washington Nationals. They sold out for everyone. Brad Hand is out of the fold. You do sell Kyle Finnegan. He's able to give you a couple good innings, and then you're going to be able to get Ryan Harper going as well. This is someone that is right around a one-ish ERA, but Wander, I swear this guy sucks. I think that they used up Jeffrey Rodriguez. Too much for him to be available in this game, but you've got a lot of less than trustworthy guys, and I do think that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to do what needs to be done and be able to get the job done, which is why I did wind up setting them as a minus-133 favorite. I made this old 9.2, so we're going to be going over along with the Philadelphia Phillies. 9.53, 9.54 on the banging board. The New York Metropolitans are going to be in the road face-off against the Miami Marlins. 
bullpen game for the Miami Marlins. Yippee. Meanwhile, you've got Tyler McGill going for the Mets. This is a game that's off the board. And I want to bring the New York Post play of the day when it looked like it was going to be Sandy Alcantara going for the Miami Marlins. But I still like what I want to brighten up. I had to change it from Sandy Alcantara to the bullpen game. But with the Miami Marlins, they do rank in the top five of the league when it comes to bullpen ERA, which is why I'm going to be taking a look at an under in this spot because Tyler McGill has been absolutely magnificent for the New York Mets. He has given up a grand total of three earned runs in his last five starts, and he has given up one run or fewer in each of them, and the Mets have been weighed out whenever he's been on the mound. They are 6-1 in his seven starts. I think that he's going to be able to deliver another gem. This is someone that has given up four solo home runs pretty much in his time on the mound, but by and large, he has been able to do a masterful job for this team. His walks per nine, that's hovering right around 2.7, and the Mets bullpen itself has been able to do a relatively solid job. Miguel Castro is starting to regress a little bit, but you have been able to get a couple good innings out of Seth Lugo. Took him a little bit of time coming off the injured list. He seems to be finding his watermark. Drew Smith is someone that has a sub-3 ERA as well, and you've been able to get a little bit of something out of our good friend Edwin Diaz as well. He sometimes can be a little bit shaky, but 23 saves so far this season and for the Miami Marlins. It's just been a really good old sale approach. I do recognize that they wind up trading away a lot of their bullpen pieces at the deadline, but at the same time, you still do have a guy in Richard Blyer who was given up a little bit of hard contact at the beginning of the year, but has been able to rein it in. Anthony Bender has a 2-2 ERA. You've been able to get a whole lot of something out of even someone like a Anthony Bass, who currently has right around a 3-6-ish ERA. And then with the Miami Marlins, they just have no offense whatsoever. They wound up trading away Adam Duvall. And we saw it in their series against the New York Yankees. They wound up scoring a grand total of five runs in that series. When they have been at home, They've had the fewest home runs of any team in the big leagues when you take a look at both home runs surrendered and home runs hit. They are pretty much in the top five when it comes to not allowing home runs. They're in the bottom five with regards to hitting home runs. So it's a good combination to have a bunch of unders. They've right now got two guys on the roster with more than five home runs that are going to be available in this game. You do have Asus Aguiar who's been terrific for this team. 75 RBI, 18 home runs. Miguel Rojas has been able to do a solid job of getting in base for this team. He, Jazz Shislam have both been able to hit between about a two 50 to a 265-ish. You're able to throw in there Brian Anderson as well, who spent a lot of the year on the injured list. Mangolia Sierra is currently hitting about a 240 and then you've got so many guys like Jorge Alfaro and company that just have not been able to find him for the Mets. Javi Baez was able to deliver a deep shot in their series against the Cincinnati Reds and you've got a lot of guys in this lineup that I would say are in between about a 240-ish and we'll call it a 260 with Pete Alonso, Tom Smith, I mentioned Baez a little bit earlier, Tom Cito also in that full Jonathan VR is right there. James McCann as well. And you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Jeff McNeil. 275 batting average. Brandon Drury along J.D. Davis. Both hitting above a 300 have been some nice surprises, but the New York Post today in this spot is going to be the under. I'm going to be setting the Mets as a pretty sizable favorite. I think that if it winds up being Miguel versus Someone that is probably going to give the Miami Marlins right around like three, four-ish innings would not be surprised if they wind up calling up someone from their AAA team, the Jumbo Shrimp. I would probably be setting the Mets right around like a minus 140, minus 145-ish favorite, but we're going to be looking at an under in the spot that is the New York Post play today. Unfortunately, I was doing this, like I said, when we thought it was going to be Sandy Alcantara, but this is a total in which I think is going to be set way too high. We've been noticing it with Mets games pretty much all season. 9.55, 9.56 on the banging board. The Pittsburgh Pirates have the road to face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Eric Lauer is going to be going for the crew. Bryce Wilson is going to be on the boat for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So on 
game is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders between even and minus 105. On the 9, unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Overs between even and minus 105 with the Brewers fighting them anywhere between a minus 195 and a minus 210. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Buckos, anywhere between plus 175 and plus 186. Eric Lauer has been able to do a much better job recently for the Milwaukee Brewers. He wound up having a rocky start both last year and this year with the Brewers, but he's been able to rein it in recently. Approximately one run given up in three out of his last four starts and two runs or fewer given up in every one of them. So he has done a nice job being able to hold down the fort has given up just one home run in his last five starts. And if you're wanting to go a little bit further in his last eight starts, he has given up a home run in just two of them. Now, one of those games he did wind up allowing two home runs in that game against the Colorado Rockies, but that was also at Coors Field. So a little bit of an outlier and at home so far this year. He's had a little bit of a worse ERA than on the road, but even though the Pittsburgh Pirates wound up taking two games from the Philadelphia Phillies, this is not a great team. And with Bryce Wilson, he is not a great pitcher. He wound up having a very good start against the LA Dodgers in the postseason last year, and that's all that is to speak of in his career. So far this year, he has got an ERA that's hovering right around 4-8. Seven home runs given up in 31 and two-thirds innings. He's a young guy with some upside, but he's only getting right around six strikeouts per nine innings and opponents are getting at 320 off of him. So that's not great. And you know what else is not great? The fact that Richard Rodriguez wound up getting traded at the trade deadline and Kyle Crick is currently on the injured list, which means that you're looking at guys like Luis Oviedo and Nick Mears to be able to give you innings out of the bullpen. Dwayne Underwood Jr. has been shaking up for the Milwaukee Brewers. You've got a whole bunch of guys there you're able to rely upon. Devin Williams and Josh Hader, if a close game winds up ensuing, they're going to be able to close the door. You've got Brian Boxberger, Hunter Strickland, Miguel Sanchez, who have all been able to do the job. And for the Brewers... The offense really got ignited with the summer ever since the beginning of the month of June. This is a bunch that they're averaging right around 4.9 runs per game. They wound up making a couple of trade deadline acquisitions in Eduardo Escobar. 22 home runs overall for the season. He's been able to do a good job. Willie Adamas was acquired much before the trade deadline along throughout Itellas. And with Rowdy Tellas, this is a little bit more of an upside play. Eight home runs so far this year, but in a limited amount of at-bats, he was not doing much of anything while he was with the Blue Jays. And last time these two teams wound up hooking up, he wound up having two home runs in that series. So that's something that you want to take a look at. Willie Adamas, ever since becoming a Brewer, double-digit amount of former sitting right around 280. This is a team that has been dealing with not having Christian Yelich out there. He's been dealing with COVID, but he's only getting a 240 with six home runs so far this year. It's not like he was doing a lot to begin with. Tyrone Taylor has been able to find it. He's hitting more like a 260 right now. Lorenzo Cain says so coming off the injured list. He has been solid 345 on base. Plays the field really well. Omir Nervais 375 on base. So you've got a lot of upside there. And then for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got Brian Reynolds. He has been able to do a very solid job for this team. Hitting a 318 home runs. Absolutely terrific. Past that, you really don't have much else. You wind up having Adam Frazier get traded at the deadline. Cabrian Ace is someone that they're looking to for the future. He's been able to give this team a honest effort. Wilmer Defoe sitting right around 275 with Ace. He's hitting more in the pocket of about a 260-ish. You've been able to get John Nagowski to be able to hit a 270, but regression is coming his way. Ben Gamble is hitting a 260. And really, ever since the beginning of the month of July, hitting closer to a 300. But then you've got guys like... Jared Oliva, you're able to throw in there. Someone like Cole Tucker, Hoy Park, Kaye Tom, Eric Gonzalez. The list goes on and on of guys hitting a 220 or lower. We'll throw in there Kevin Newman as well. 
Michael Perez is someone that's in that fold. Rodolfo Castro, I believe, finally has a hit. That was not a home run, so good for him. He's hitting a 222. This is just a Pirates team that I have zero faith in at this point. With the Milwaukee Brewers, I'm going to be taking a look at a run line. I was willing to lay right around a minus 120-ish with the Milwaukee Brewers on the run line. Currently seeing that more around a minus 105 to a minus 110, so I am in there. Seeing this total at 9, I think that it's probably set a little bit too high because I think that the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to have a tough time scoring. Wound up saying this total at 8.3, so we're going to be going under along with the Brewer on the run line. 957-958 on the begging board. San Francisco Giants at the road faceoff gets the Arizona Diamondbacks. It is Anthony Scalfani going for the Yantes. Meanwhile, Tyler Widener is going to be going for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Wide range of prices, only Westgate and Circa have a number up on this. At the Westgate, you're finding the San Francisco Giants at minus 154 and the Arizona Diamondbacks at plus 144. At Circa, you're finding the Giants at minus 185 with a plus 168 on the D-backs. 9 to 9.5 is your total on the 9 at the Westgate. Over is minus 115, the under is minus 105. At Circa, 9.5 is under juice of minus 120 and the over is even. And I can tell you right now, I'm going to be taking either of these under because I want to saying the total 8.5 and I would still be taking the Giants either way because I made them north of a minus 190 favorite. If you're looking at the run line at the Westgate, it's minus 105 on the Giants, minus 120 on the run line at Circa, and I'm going to be taking that because I am willing to lay about a minus 130 with the Giants run line. You take a look at Anthony D. Scalfani. If you take out his four starts against the LA Dodgers, he has a sub-2 ERA so far this year, and he has been able to do a very masterful job whenever he's been on the road. He's been able to log 122 innings, so he's been consistent on the road. 250 ERA, 5-3 record across 13 starts. Deep balls hurt him a little bit. He's given up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings on the road, but opponents are just a buck 94 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at why he did wind up having a very good start when he wound up coming off the injured list against the LA Dodgers. One run given up in four and a third innings. Since then, he has went four and two-thirds innings and three and two-thirds innings in his last two starts against the Pirates and the Texas Rangers. Two poopy teams. A combined ten runs and three home runs given up in those starts, including six walks. That is just absolutely terrible. And he's backed up by a bullpen that, shall we say, it is really, really bad and nobody is going to be really fresh in this game because they had to go to Brian Holiday in long relief because Caleb Smith wound up giving them five outs in his start. So Matt Peacock is now used up. You wind up going to Stefan Crichton. You had Ryan Bukers used up. So here's in the Diamondbacks. They're going to be looking to someone like a Jake Feria, J.B. Bukakis, guys that I have no faith in whatsoever. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, currently in their lineup, they've got one guy with more than like five home runs so far this year. Good news is Quetel Marte of the Marte Parte is back. He's hitting a 367. He was the only guy in the lineup yesterday that left the game hitting above a 259, and that would be Josh Reddick. Outside of Josh Reddick, nobody else who wound up seeing an at bat yesterday is hitting above a 244. I mean, it's terrible. You've got guys like Nick Ahmad, Ezrubaker, Barrel. list goes on and on of guys that you have no faith in whatsoever. I don't know like three of the guys that wound up getting at-bats yesterday, which is really bad. And for the San Francisco Giants, Chris Bryant in his first game with the San Francisco Giants winds up going deep. Got a lot of guys that have pedestrian batting averages, but they do a good job of being able to get on base. Like at Mikey Stromsky, 227 batting average, but a 320 on base with 17 home runs so far this season. Even take a look at someone like a Darren Ruff, 278 batting average, but a 398 on base. He is going deep once every, I would say, about 13 or so at bats at this point. Donovan Solano has been able to about a 275 for the team. Yeah, but dealing with an injury to Wilmer Flores, but even if he winds up missing this game, you still have Brandon Crawford, who's hitting 18 home runs, and bullpen of the San Francisco Giants has been absolutely tremendous. 
this top five in the big leagues when it comes to ERA. You did wind up using up Dominique Leon and Jake McGee yesterday, but you're still going to have someone in long relief in Aaron Sanchez. If you need him, he just came off the injured list. You've been able to get some good production out of guys like Jarlon Garcia, Jose Alvarez and company. I think that the Giants should be a massive favorite. So we're going to be taking them on the run line to go along with this total under. 959-960 on the banking board. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing host the Cleveland Indians. Eli Morgan is going to be going for the Windians. Meanwhile, Robbie Ray is on the bump for the Jays. Jays are mammoth favorites. As high as a minus 310, as low as a minus 250. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, getting them anywhere between plus 220 and Plus 258 is a high water mark there. 9 to 9.5 is your total on the 9.5. You're going to be finding the under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And the same goes for the over. On the 9, over is minus 125. And the under of 9 is plus 105. I do think that the Blue Jays should be a sizable favorite here. But when you get north of $2, it's a take for me on the Cleveland Indians with Robbie Ray you got to keep in mind that this is someone that is certainly giving up the deep ball so far this year. 118 and a third innings, and he's giving up 23 home runs. That's like two home runs for nine innings, so that's a little bit of an issue. His walks are way down from the past. He's giving out right around 2.2-ish walks for nine innings. His career numbers coming into this year were more like four, so he's done a good job buckling down, I will say. Eli Morgan has given up more than three home runs for nine innings. Only five walks, though. He has given up six more home runs than walks, which... I don't know if I've ever seen that before, but his last start against the Houston Astros, Dean was able to get the win. The team is 2-2 two and two overall in his last four starts. I will say this, he is consistent. He has given up either three or four runs in each out of his last five starts. He has won approximately five innings, no more, no less in any of them, and he's given up either one or two home runs in every one of them. So, you know what you're going to be able to get there. And with the Cleveland Indians, this is an offense that is not necessarily too bad. Now, they did not wind up getting anything going against the White Sox yesterday, but two days ago, they were able to put up a double digit amount of runs. You do have quite a few guys that are able to get on base for you as well. You take a look at Miles Straw, Jose Ramirez, Harold Ramirez, Amit Rosario. All these guys are in between a 253 and a 268 with Jose Ramirez. He has been able to give you 20 plus home runs. Framio Reyes is getting you a home run every about 11 or so at bats. He's got 20 bombs. He's got a 325 on base. Bradley Zimmer's been able to do 245. That's been nice for the team. Now, Ernie Clement, Roberto Perez, Yu Chang, along with a few others like Oscar Mercado. You're able to throw in there Owen Miller as well. Hitting a 220 or lower, that's a little bit of an issue, but the bullpen of this team still very solid. I do recognize that James Karinczak has had a little bit of regression recently, but Emmanuel Classe has been able to give you some good innings. I like what you're able to get out of Nick Sandlin, Brian Parker, and company. And for the Blue Jays, they did wind up picking up a couple pieces at the deadline, including Brad Ann to be able to help this team out. Adam Simber came over a few weeks before the deadline. He has been solid. Trevor Richards is able to give you multiple innings at any time, and even a guy like a walking story, it might be able to give you a little bit of something as well. And then with the Blue Jays, no question, this is a lineup that's able to mash. You've got Viagro Jr., north of 30 home runs, right around a 425 on base. He has been terrific. Boba shit, along with Teoscar Hernandez, both of these guys, at least 16 home runs, both of these guys hitting between a 290 and a 295. George Springer wound up having a tremendous weekend series against the Kansas City Royals, wound up having multiple home runs in the game on Saturday, so it looks like he's back in full force, been able to get a lot out of Santiago Spinell as well. Not necessarily a bunch of home runs out of him, though. He got a second of the season yesterday. But hitting above a 300 for this team, you've had Randall Gritchick be able to go deep 19 times. He has been terrific. Marcus Simeon, 25 home runs. So, list goes on and on of good mashers, but at the same time, I think that you're going to see a pair of guys that wind up giving up quite a few home runs. I do think that you're going to be seeing a game in which 
is going to have quite a few two, three run shots. So I did wind up saying this total at 9.6. I'm going to take it over. I think above $2 was going to be a play for me on the Indians. So we'll take that Indians money line and I'll take this total over. 961, 962 on the banging board. You've got the New York Yankees and they're going to be playing us the Baltimore Orioles. Ore Lopez is going to be going for the Royals. Andrew Heaney is going to be making his Yankees debut. And for the Yankees, sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 219 and minus 250. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Orioles, anywhere between plus 195 and plus 211. The total on this game is anywhere between 9.5 and 10. On the 9.5, over is minus 120 and the under is even. On the 10, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 with the Orioles. I need a plus 220 to be able to take a shot on them. I do recognize that the Yankees are probably a little bit overvalued here, but gosh, I just cannot take Jorge Lopez. A north of 6 ERA. Third time through the rotation because actually if you look at Jorge Lopez, first couple innings are not bad. If you're an in-game totals better, you probably want to wait for Jorge Lopez to give you a good solid inning or two because third time through the lineup, opponents already got 444 off of him. That's just comically bad. They always say that second, third time through is tougher. Well, it really is for Jorge Lopez. So that has been very fascinating to see. And with Mr. Lopez, this is someone that is giving up right around a home run and a half for nine innings, 4.1 walks per nine innings. It has not been going well for him to say the least as he has given up at least four runs in three out of his last five starts. I will say the team has won actually each out of his last three starts. So if you're looking for a redeeming quality, there you go. And for Andrew Eaney, not necessarily going great for him either. 52070 RA while he was with the LA Angels. His home and road splits were very similar. North of a 5 ERA with pretty much both of them. His road ERA actually got down to a 489. Whoop-de-doo there. But, I mean, it's just one of these situations in which he's given up the deep ball a little bit too much. He's given up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. So, it's going to be backed up by a little bit of a better bullpen. Zach Britton has not necessarily been able to find it. But, I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of something out of him. I was expecting good things out of Albert Abadeu. He has not been able to deliver for the Yankees at this point. They wind up picking up Clay Holmes, who has not been good. Joey Rodriguez has right around a 6 issue. ERA, but Jonathan Lewis, we got Lucas Lutige have both been solid, and Roldis Jammin seems to be finding it once again. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, Cole Solzer along Tanner Scott have been very good bullpen pieces for this team, and neither of them wanted pitching yesterday. That is going to be a good sign for them, and for the Baltimore Orioles, you've been able to get a little bit of something on offense with Anthony Santander, Austin the Sayers kid, both hitting between a 228 and a 240. You've been able to get Trey Boomer, Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle along with Cedric Mullins, along between 16 and 19 home runs as well for Mountcastle and Mancini hitting between a 254 and a 262 with Mancini as well. 19 home runs, 60 RBI. He certainly has been able to do his job, but you take a look at some of these guys. Domingo Leyva, Pat Valeca, Ryan McKenna, and Austin Wins were all in the starting lineup yesterday. All these guys are hitting below a 200, so that is a little bit tough. And for the New York Yankees, how about what you've been able to get out of Anthony Rizzo? A pair of home runs in the team series against the Miami Marlins. He is looking very good in pinstripes. I don't know how much Joey Gallo is going to be able to upgrade this team long term, but they did need a left-handed bat. He either gives you a home run or he gives you absolutely nothing. He actually does walk a little bit as well, but still he should be able to give this team a tad bit of something. Rudet Odor, actually since the beginning of the month of July, has been halfway decent at being able to get on for you as well, but Gary Sanchez had a very good June. He is now hitting a 211. He has really hit the skids. Glaber Torres, only six home runs so far this season, but you just take a look at it. This is a Baltimore Orioles team that I can't take a shot on with Mr. Lopez. It 12 losses right now lead the league. Andreini is someone that I think is going to be able to give the Yankees a little bit of something, and I do think that the Yankees 
by and large, are a team that is not going to make the postseason, but this is just an untakeable spot on the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm going to be taking a look at the run line here with the New York Yankees as currently hovering right around a minus 125 to a minus 130. My breaking point was more like a minus 140. And I also said this all at 10.2, so we're going to be going over along with the Yankees. 963-964 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing against the Seattle Mariners. Chris Flexen is going to be going for the M's. Michael Waka is going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. I've retired the dying Pac-Man voice, so it's just Waka, Waka, Waka. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 150 and minus 160. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the M's, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 147. Tallest game is 8.5 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. For Flexen, this guy has been very good at home. On the road, he has north of a 5-5 ERA, and opponents are getting a 3.30 off of him. So you've got some very demonstrative splits there. He is someone that has given you fewer than six strikeouts per nine innings, and yet he's given up .8 home runs per nine innings. He is a pitch-to-contact guy, and the Tampa Bay Rays have not one, not two, not three, but four guys that have been able to hit at least 20 home runs so far this year. As You've got Austin Meadows, Nelson Cruz, Brandon Lau, and Mike Zanino all in that fold. And on top of that, a bunch of guys that have on base percentages that are right around 100 points better than their batting average. Look no further than G-Man Choi. Hitting right around a 255-ish for the team, but more like a 370 on base. Brett Phillips, 210 batting average, 310 on base. You've been able to get a whole lot of that out of Yandy Diaz as well. Yandy Diaz has been able to do a solid job all year for the team, not necessarily hitting a bunch of homers, but he had someone that has a 257 batting average, 370 on base for him as well. Randy Odoz Arena, 255 batting average, 335 on base. Now with the race, the big caution with this team is that you've got a lot of guys that are currently on the injured list. Pete Fairbanks along with J.P. Fireisen currently on the injured list. You're currently missing another guy in column Q that's able to give you a little bit of long relief at J.T. Jargois. I do think is going to be someone that is going to be a candidate for regression. Drew Rasmussen wound up getting used up yesterday, but with Michael Walker in the role of starter, and he's made 13 starts so far this year, five relief appearances. Coming out of the bullpen, north of a 9 ERA. As a starter, 363 ERA. He's given up right in the neighborhood of about 1.3-ish home runs per nine innings when he's been a starter. He has been able to do a great job with the walks as well. Michael Walker had a walks problem back when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals. He had a south of... Two strikeout to walk rate in his final two years with St. Louis. He's been able to remake that. It's more like a 3.7 this year. So he's been able to do a good job. He'll be able to lock in. He has been able to do a relatively solid job, by and large, just in his last couple starts as well. This is someone that wound up getting off to a little bit of a rocky start, but has now given up three runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts, including giving up one unearned run in five innings against the New York Yankees in his last start. So I think that he's been able to solve some things. And he's facing off against the Seattle Mariners team that is dead last in the big leagues when it comes to batting average. They still just do not have a lot of guys that are able to get on base for you in general. In their starting lineup yesterday, three guys wound up leaving the game with north of a 221 batting average. That'd be J.P. Crawford who's hitting right around 265. Mitch Anniger has been amazing for the team. He has been able to give you 25 home runs. He's hitting at 260 and tie France. 350 on base, 270 batting average. Abraham Toro, whenever he's out there, he's been able to hit more like a 235 as well, but Kyle Seager, despite the fact that he's been able to give the team right around 20 home runs, he's hitting a 220 and then you've got Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore, Taylor Trammell, I believe is in the minor leagues. Ore Mamaloy, so the list goes on and on. 
amount of guys hitting a buck 90 or lower. It's just been absolutely terrible. Shed Long has given you nothing. Jake Bowers hitting right around 220 for this bunch. I will say for the Seattle Mariners, the bullpen is still relatively decent, and it's going to be a little bit of revenge for Diego Castillo, but ever since he wound up getting shipped off, ironically enough, from the race of the Mariners, he has not necessarily looked too terrific. Eric Swanson wound up entering into their game with the Rangers on Sunday with a 0.49 ERA. That ballooned up buck 86. A regression is coming in for him as well. Anthony Machevich is someone that I don't have a lot of faith in right around a 4-ish ERA himself. Paul Seawald has been able to give you some good innings, but I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the race should be a sizable favorite. I like Michael Walker and he's actually had a fielding independent that has been a little bit better than his ERA, so I think that this is a good spot. Wound up saying the race is more around a minus 165-ish favorite, and if you're looking at the run line, finding that as good as a plus 125 at Circa, I am all aboard that, so we are going to be taking the race on the run line with this total. Set it a little bit north of 9, because I think that Chris Flexen is going to get shelled. I'm going to be taking the over along with the Tampa Bay race on the run line. And wrap things up with a game that's off the board. 965-966 on the betting board. Got the LA Angels hitting the road to face off against the Texas Rangers. Dane Gitter Dunning is going to be going for the Rangers. To be determined is going to be going for the Los Angeles Angels. So this is a game that's off the board. It was looking like Shoei Otani a little bit earlier and no doubt if you wind up getting Shoei Otani, I'm going to be making them a favorite, but do not count out Dane Dunning in this spot because with Dane Dunning, you want to be fading him on the road. You want to be backing him at home. At Arlington so far this year, Dane Dunning, a 258 ERA, a 4-2 record in 10 starts in Texas. Three home runs given up in 52 and a third innings. His walks per nine rate is right around a 2.3. Opponents are about a 250 off of him. On the road, his home runs per nine rate nearly triples. He is giving up right around a 307 opponent's batting average. His walks per nine is above four, and he's got a 645 ERA, 0-5 record. Very stark splits there. And you take a look at this Texas Rangers team. Four runs or fewer, and now 16 out of their last 19 games. This is an offense that is currently stuck in the mud. Joey Gallo wound up getting traded away. Adolis Garcia has hit, I believe, six home runs in the team's last 65 days. That is not necessarily too terrific. You take a look at this bunch. You do not have a single guy that wound up getting in a bat yesterday hitting above a 255. now. You got two guys hitting between a 255 and a 254 in Adolis Garcia, Nate Lowe, along with Kaiser Falefa. You've got Jose Trevino, along with Andy Iban and Charlie Culbertson, lying between a 229 and a 237 as well, and Jonah Heim all of a sudden is becoming a masher. Three home runs in the last two games for this team, but take a look at guys like Eli White, David Dahl, Brock Holt, a bunch of guys hitting at 220 or lower, so that's a little bit of an issue when you take a look at the Texas Rangers bullpen. You've been able to get some solid innings out of a pair of guys in Brett Martin and Spencer Patton. Both of these guys have sub-3-4 ERAs. Dennis Santana is someone that I think has a little bit of upside as well. And Joe Barlow, ever since he wound up getting called up, right around a one-ish ERA, so I do like that. And then you take a look at the LA Angels. They did wind up bringing in a couple reinforcements, but this is still a bullpen that I don't have a lot of faith in. You've been using Jose Quitana along Dylan Bundy of the bullpen. Sam Selman is someone that could be able to give you a couple innings, and Rossi Iglesias as a closer has actually been able to do a very solid job, but we just have no idea who's going to be pitching in this one. If it winds up being someone like Dylan Bundy, I would probably be saying the Rangers as a favorite. If you wind up getting Mr. Shoei Otani, I'd probably be saying the team as a favorite because with Mr. Otani, he has been absolutely tremendous. 82 RBI, 37 home runs, hitting at 275. He is lighting the world ablaze. He is the AL MVP candidate favorite, and rightfully so. Now, what has been an issue for the team is that without Jared Walsh, you've noticed the run production really dropping with the LA Angels. In their series against the Oakland A's, they wound up scoring a grand total of four runs in those four games. That is just absolutely pitiful. This is an Angels team that 
they have really hit the skids when it comes to their offense. And they do have a couple guys who are able to get on base for you as well in David Fletcher along with Jose Iglesias. Iglesias is hitting right around 270. And I'll throw in there Phil Goslin as well. He's hitting at 275 for Fletcher. If it's since the beginning of the month of June, hitting in the pocket of about a 330. But Justin Upton, since coming off the injured list, has looked like a shawl of himself. In the month of June, he was hitting well above a 300. His on-base percentage was hovering right around a 400. He was doing a masterful job. In the month of July, since coming off the injured list, hitting a buck 39. So that has been a massive issue for this team. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Max Sassi, who's hitting in the realm of about a 300. Adam Eaton is the guy that they're kicking the tires on. He's only hitting right around at 215. Jack Mayfield along with Brandon Marsh, both hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. So this is a situation in which, like I said, if it winds up being like Dylan Bunny, I'm going to be saying the Angels as an underdog. If you wind up getting Mr. Shoei Otani, a pretty sizable favorite. And with the total, if it's Mr. Otani, I'd probably be taking a look at a 7.5 or higher over an 8 or higher under if it's Dylan Bunny. Raise that by a full run. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Monday. A big thanks to John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any questions, comments, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, one of two ways we have further this in. First one is my Twitter timeline. At GNRSCORD1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then in the comments section of that review, you're able to list whatever you'd like to hear on the podcast in there. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be coming at you every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 